Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 102 of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. This is your host, Tavi Elise. Thanks for joining us. Happy Aries season and happy spring equinox. I hope everyone is hanging in there okay and finding ways amidst the chaos of being alive in our current present moment, (laughs) Um, finding ways to tap into joy and connection as we shift into this time of movement, expansion, and actualization of growth. Before we jump into this episode, just some reminders that Rise Up Good Witch is looking for guests and community collaborators for this year ahead. And our guest inquiry form is live on my website, manatee-medicinals.com. So if you're interested in connecting to share a story or have a conversation together about your work, please reach out via that form. I also want to share that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I will actually be holding a free herbal workshop for survivors at Portland State University. The class is something that I've actually been working on for um, a different context for a couple of years, Um, but I'm really excited to bring it into this space of the school I used to go to. Um, The class is called Building a Self-Care Toolbox with Plant Allies for Survivors, and it will be held on Wednesday April 19th at 3 p.m. in the Women's Resource Center. So if you happen to be staff, student, or faculty at PSU, you can come and take this class for free. If you would like to attend virtually, it will be a hybrid event, and you can sign up via the same ticket link, which will be in the show notes. Y'all, this is such a fascinating informative conversation that I am over the moon to share with you. I've had the pleasure of being friends in community with Brunum for about five years now. And uh, we finally got to meet in person. Um, I got to take their class. Um, I think it was called Herbal Support for Emotional Intelligence and Relational Work. It was amazing. Um, I took that at the Portland Plant Medicine Gathering back in 2019. We cover a lot of ground in this nerdy, queer, Virgo, herbalist kiki, including disability justice work, barriers to formal training and legitimacy within the herbal medicine realm, our respective attempts to keep herbal care work accessible for community while still being able to support ourselves. Um, We also talk about the neuroendocrine system's role in stress and recovery and Brunham's approach to safely weaving together the scientific and the intuitive as a practicing herbalist. I do want to say we also get into some basics of the incredibly violent anti-trans legislation that recently passed in Tennessee and Brunham shares some really great resources um, that are like local and regional resources for mutual aid organizations in the South that you can boost and support from anywhere in the world. 
this is such a scary moment for queer and trans community and it's a crucial moment for all of us but especially cis allies to get informed and to take every single action we can to protect trans youth and queer communities all over the world but you know specifically in the u.s where things are the way that they are um and over 400 anti-trans bills and pieces of limit legislation have been proposed just in in the last year or two so if you are looking to get involved to take tangible actions and to educate yourself and others on the state of things please check out this episode um and also these radical organizations all of which are linked below in the show notes so without further ado please enjoy our conversation with Brunham Warshaw of Well Deep Remedies. Hi, Brunham. Hello. Hi, Tavi. Hi. Thanks so much for coming. Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, Brunham Warshaw. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here today. Um, for those of us in our audience who don't already know you, either from your working community or from the plant person origin story that you did on this podcast a few years ago, I think, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here again. Um, so yeah, I'm a clinical herbalist and an educator, and I weave scientific and intuitive approaches together to support people in healing themselves with the assistance of plant medicines. Um, so I've been studying herbalism for over a decade and practicing clinically since 2012. Um, on a personal level, I'm a white queer femme with invisible disabilities. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. My ancestry is Irish and Ashkenazi Jewish, and these lineages increasingly inform my herbal practice. Uh, and then my political home is within the disability justice movement. Um, so my teachers in this work have included uh, the Elderberry School of Botanical Medicine, uh, psychiatric nurse practitioner and trained herbalist Lydia Bartholo, Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes at the Blue Otter School of Herbal Medicine, and Rylan Sian of Northwind Apothecary. Um, I'm also a 20-hour street medic and a first aid educator. I was trained by the Rose Hip Medic Collective in Portland, Oregon. And in general, my herbal practice today focuses on serving my communities with navigating trauma recovery, addiction, chronic illness, and queer embodiment, uh, including but not limited to sexual health. And I do this through ongoing one-on-one -on -one clinical work with clients. Um, I also do sliding scale plant medicine pop-ups with my remedies, and I teach online classes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and can you, for those who might not be familiar with the terminologies, can you define or describe what being a clinical herbalist in practice is um, or what this has been in your experience? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Thank you for asking. It can look a lot of different ways. Um, firstly, I want to name that the 
the word clinical can bring up connotations of the medical industrial complex and has kind of an alienating air of authority to it. So I don't want to participate in that. I don't want to re-entrench these hierarchies of allopathic medicine to imply that like a clinical herbalist is somehow more skillful or important than a traditional herbalist or a folk herbalist or a community herbalist. Um, Sometimes I really just want to throw that word out and say I'm a practicing herbalist instead of a clinical herbalist just because of that association. Um, But yeah, a clinical approach is in conversation with biomedical science. So that means that I have formal training about how herbs interact with specific medications like pharmaceutical medications, as well as health conditions that have been diagnosed within Western medicine, um, and how to make suggestions to my herbal clients that will be safe and supportive for their specific situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take a kind of scientific approach to formulation and how I create care plans for clients. Um, so yeah, in my practice, I do one-on-one work with people to address a really wide variety of concerns. Um, I start with a two-hour intake consultation, which is a really extensive interview about someone's history and their goals. And that conversation is the basis from which I create a care plan and a set of herbal supports. Um, So then we will touch base with follow-up consults every couple months to track changes and make adjustments. Um, So yeah, I've been working with some of my clients in this clinical way for several years ongoingly, and I really love that way of working to be part of someone's care team for the long haul through many seasons of their life. Um, And it's really important to me that their herbal care is in alignment with a detailed analysis of their unique body mind and the patterns of embodiment that they experience through time. Um, kind of rambling this, I guess I have a lot no. to say about <laughs> clinical herbalism. Um, well, you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I guess it kind of has been a minute now. Um, so yeah, there's no official organization that like certifies it or licenses herbalists or the Western herbalists, I should say, not um, traditional Chinese medicine, for example, but um, clinical herbalists need to be clear that we can't diagnose conditions, we can't prescribe medications or herbs, um, and we have to be careful to protect ourselves from practicing medicine without a license. Um, There is a regulatory body for herbalists in the United States where I live, um, which is called the American Herbalist Guild. Um, And I know of a lot of experienced, brilliant herbalists who I would vouch for their care who aren't certified by the American Herbalist Guild, but that is kind of like what we have to vouch for us officially. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the main thing I think that it's really important for clinical herbalists um, to do is to stay within our scope of practice and to be really transparent about what is our training? What are our specialties? Do we have any supervision or mentorship um, in how we're working with people? Uh, what are our philosophies of health and healing and what are the limits to clinical herbal care? Um, So yeah, if you have complex health issues or take pharmaceutical medication, it's helpful to approach herbs with the guidance of someone with clinical training who may or may not call themselves a clinical herbalist. Um, And then the last thing I'll just say about clinical practice is like, For years, I really wanted to like go to work at the clinic, like find a collective project where I can just like clock in and clock out. Um, But none of the places that I've lived have had that kind of project in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I still really envision being part of like 
a multimodality clinic that offers low barrier care and like provides training to student herbalists and like the dream, uh, the dream clinic. But in reality, being a clinical herbalist is a lot what I imagine being like a therapist in private practice kind of is. We don't have as frequent of contact with our clients, but we have to be small business owners to run a private practice. And that's one of the many reasons why it's pretty difficult to be a fringe healthcare provider under capitalism, especially if you want to keep your services financially accessible for your clientele. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Thanks for all that insight. Um, I think it's so tricky in this culture and in this society and under capitalism to, yeah, to find your way in the fringe, like outside of these really intense and violent systems um, and still find ways to help people that also like have, but also put liability and like safety measures in place for yourself to like keep yourself protected and to keep most importantly to like um, know what you're offering people and keep your clients safe. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, that multimodality clinic, I think long ago I had something similar in my head of like, I don't know, maybe this is how it could look, but it'll probably, you know, change and ebb and flow over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I still I still want the dream clinic. I want dream clinics everywhere. You know, I want like rural dream clinics and urban dream clinics in relationship with each other. <laughs> and Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, let's make it happen. I know Herbalists Without Borders is a thing. Acupuncture Without Borders is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely these mutual aid networks that are popping up, which we'll talk about more later in this conversation. Um, I think, you know, people are finding ways to do it, but it is, we have to wade through the bureaucracy of the system still. And that is unfortunate and <laughs> tricky and <laughs> difficult. <laughs> With all that said, like you said, you started doing clinical work like over a decade ago in 2012, around then. Um, So how has your work changed or shifted over time? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't feel ready to start my clinical practice until I received formal training. And then even after I did a nine month herb school program and then did a set of advanced classes for clinical herbalists, I still felt really scared to offer my services in a public way. Um, And at that time, I was organizing with the Rosehip Medic Collective and the other herbalists in the collective provided me with really generous peer mentorship and encouragement to open my practice. Um, So their name is Sam Roberts of Home and Hearth Herbs. And um, I really strive to offer this kind of support to other herbalists who are ready to shift into formal public practice because it was really meaningful for me to have someone who I trust to believe in my work and to reassure me that I had something useful to offer and that I could do it in an ethical way. Um, And I also had asked one of my teachers to provide supervision for the first few intakes that I conducted because my first couple of clients both actively had cancer and that was very intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, appropriately so so um, yeah that's just kind of like how did it begin it was not like a I'm ready <laughs> like it was mm-hmm. like a very like slow process and I needed a lot of hand holding to feel like it was 
it was going to be viable and, and safe for, for everyone. Um, but the frameworks that have uh, influenced how I practice have also changed over time. So my first training was from um, students of the late herbalist Michael Moore, who ran the Southwest School of Botanical Medicine. Um, so he was a Western herbalist working from a medical science framework, and that's kind of the foundation of my training. And then um, studying with psychiatric nurse practitioner and herbalist Lydia Bartholo guided my focus over to the specificity of the autonomic nervous system, especially the HPA axis. HPA stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, um, which is a neuroendocrine mechanism that mediates the effects of stressors. Um, and Lydia taught me also a lot about the impact of ongoing elevated cortisol and inflammation levels, uh, the concept of allostatic load, um, when the cumulative burden of chronic stress exceeds an individual's ability to cope, um, and and the role of all this science in both trauma and addiction recovery. So mm -hmm. I was working with this very scientific, very nervous system-based framework for a couple years in the beginning of my practice. Uh, and then I started to feel confused about how to bring in my intuitive experiences with plant medicine, which have always been like a really core personal part of what has brought me to the plants, um, as well as the spiritual component of the work that really comes up when you're doing trauma and addiction recovery. It's not just a physical thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so this confusion around like how to use my scientific training and bring my whole self into the work, um, led me to study energetic herbalism at the Blue Water School of Herbal Medicine. And that was really fascinating um, to learn about an energetic constitutional system from uh, Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes. And um, ultimately, as a white settler, I decided that working with a Choctaw energy system didn't feel right for me or my practice. Um, but another emphasis in their pr program is around gardening and cultivation of plant medicine. And I really loved this opportunity to grow skill with gardening herbs. Um, my first training with white herbalists included like training on ethical wildcrafting. And um, with a couple very specific exceptions, that's not the way that I want to relate to the earth or to these medicines. So um yeah, I started out as a like a vegetable farmer when I was a teenager. And so growing herbs um, felt like a really easy return to one of my early passions. And then working with the living medicine throughout the seasons has felt like a, a core piece of my spiritual practice in this work. Um, so yeah, after Blue Otter, I knew that I wanted to work with more of an energetic constitutional system in my practice, not just the scientific framework but I wanted it to be grounded in my own ancestral lineages. Um, so as an Irish and Ashkenazi Jewish person, my ancestral traditions have been fragmented. Um, they're not very accessible, um, but it was really profound for me to meet my teacher, Ryland Sian of Northwind Apothecary and to study plant magic and medicine of the Celtic tradition with him. Um, and I, I studied with him through Ancestral Apothecary in Oakland, California. And um, it's because of his teachings that I'm now offering a class series that's called The Three Wells, which is about exploring this Celtic energetic framework with uh, somatic and herbal entryways. Um, and so then the last piece of my practice that has 
changed over these this decade um, is an increased focus with the vagus nerve. Um, so the vagus nerve is the big cranial nerve that runs our parasympathetic nervous system. And since 2020, I've been sharing more in public about what I'm calling polyvagal herbalism, which is grounded in a lot of the nervous system science I learned from Lydia alongside engaging with the vagus nerve more directly and, and my study of polyvagal theory. Um, so the vagus nerve consists of the ventral and dorsal branches, respectively, and also connects with the enteric nervous system of the GI, the gastrointestinal tract. And this is a side note for another day, probably, but the, the vagus nerve, the way that it works um, actually connects my scientific framework with my ancestral energetic framework, but it's Mm, that's kind oh, of wow. like a longer conversation yeah, but yeah that like kind it. of brings me to where I'm at today in the framework that informs my practice um and then the last piece is I'll just say on the material level since it's taken a lot of different shapes over the the past decade I am I started out as a community herbalist which for me meant offering all of my folk medicines and care on a gift basis um and then when I invested in training um which is a very high barrier aspect of herbalism. Let's just be clear about that. But yeah, when I got formally trained, I became more dedicated to clinical practice and developing the complexity of what I was offering people. Um, so in this time, since I launched my practice, I've experienced a lot of angst and difficulty with how to become an anti-capitalist small business owner who's providing accessible healthcare and also like wants to make a living wage. Um, so I've always had one to three other jobs, which is how I pay my bills. And I've not ever like centered my herbal practice in uh, my income. And because it's not my primary source of income, I'm able to run it as more of a community care project. So I can gift medicines as a form of mutual aid. I can do sliding scale rates for services and classes. And I know that there are some people out there who do all of these things and don't have other sources of income, but I just haven't quite cracked the code for myself personally. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> very, um, very relatable. And I don't know, I think with, um, it, it's so easy to beat ourselves up for not being able to make that the core of what we do or the core of how we make money anyway, even if that's like the core of where our heart is or the core of where our um, goals and dreams and desires are. Um, and that's true of so many creators and artists, but it's, um, it's a part of the bureaucracy, again, of like being a part of these systems and having to function within them. Um, and with the growing ubiquity of wellness culture and holistic care culture, I get the overarching narratives, especially from white run herbal schools that like anything's possible, just make it work or like <laughs> just pay these tuition fees that do not offer, you know, we don't have any scholarships or we don't have any payment plans or like discounts or um, it is steeply inaccessible um, in so many ways. And then there's forces from every angle telling you how illegitimate 
what you're doing is or how you're doing it is. And I've experienced that just in my eight years of practice. Um, uh, I consider myself like an intuitive folk herbalist. I am very, I mean, science is very blended into what I do. And I'm very intentional about my scope of practice and telling people like, this is what I can do. And this is what I, and I'll refer you to like, you know, a massage therapist or like I'll refer you to go see a naturopath instead of me. Um, but I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of ethics around how they're doing what they're doing, or, um, they don't weave in a lot of what you've just described about how you, um, how you approach this work and what's meaningful to you, which is, you know, making it accessible to the people who really need it. So I just want to honor that and honor that, you know, you learned about, this indigenous energetic system and you're like wow this is really powerful and important and also I'm not gonna take it to go make money off of it like I'm gonna be intentional about um and respectful of this work that like it's not mine it's not mine to use <laughs> and I'm gonna go look into like well what is my history I just think a lot of people could take some lessons, take some notes about that. <laughs> I really appreciate it personally, just living in Portland. I mean, you know how the culture is here. Um, and it's not just Portland and not just the West Coast. It's kind of everywhere, but. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I also just like want to uplift that it like that piece around. It's actually very semi-impossible to like make a living wage as an herbalist because I don't feel like people talk about that enough and I I think it's really easy for those of us to like internalize like oh it seems like other people are doing it and like why can't I do it and um there's just a lot of um you know it, it's just really easy to like think that other people have it figured out um but not necessarily know about like the tons of inherited wealth that like undergird their ability to do what they do with their practice or whatever it may be. Um, and I don't want to discourage anyone that's like thinking about moving into this path. Um, but I also just want to be as clear as I wish many people had been with me that it's like, it's really hard. And also it's not a personal failing if you can't figure it out, even after 10 years of trying, <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. it's just yeah. like, the systems are stacked and it's, um, yeah, it's pretty tough to, um, to make, to, yeah, do this work and have it be reciprocal for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, thank you for that. I think that's part of what I was moving towards saying is not only the inaccessibility, um, but the fact that, um, herbalism is so it is explicitly disregarded as like real or valid or legitimate in the culture in the western culture that we live in mm -hmm. um and also if you don't have a degree or a license or a certificate um then people are like well then how do you know what you're doing and how um how is it real or you know whether that's I don't know, your parents asking you, <laughs> my parents, I have to have the, the conversation with my family every, you know, every year or two about like, well, this is, it's a pretty cool thing you're doing, but is there a way you can get a license for it? And it's like, well, no, I'm not going to go, 
pay 15 more thousand dollars to study this at some school mm-hmm. when I have learned this in community and like yes I did I did go to a program for you know more than a year um but I don't get a degree from it <laughs> and just saying that that's like you know it's not seen as legitimate in our culture um and it's really a shame it's a shame that we don't honor the different ways of knowing and being with such an plant medicine is such an integral part of like living on this planet and being human. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just always think about how grotesque it is that we, that like capitalism has kind of like gotten its tendrils around it and made it difficult for people who really care about this work and want to do it to, to practice. just I listened to this other what was the name of the other podcast you were on talking about the 15 minute matrix yeah that was such a cool fast roundup of what polyvagal herbalism is um it sounds like such a valuable tool to add to people's toolkit um for nervous system you know this is a big area that I really focus on and aspire to learn more about and to help um, clients and community learn about in an educator role. I think it's so interesting that nervous system health is like in vogue now and that the vagus nerve also is like, ooh, that's the hot nerve of the minute. <laughs> People it totally are, is. <laughs> it really is. The vagus nerve is so Pending. hot right now. <laughs> um, so it seems like there's a really wide range of body systems and conditions or symptoms that can help um, that a polyvagal approach to care in general and also herbalism, it seems like it can really be supportive for. Um, So in your, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that or talk about who is polyvagal herbalism for? Like, who do you think could benefit the most from this approach versus maybe another um, broader approach? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, so I want to just kind of like try to quickly define polyvagal herbalism um, and then speak to this piece of like who who might be most supported by it. Um, So yeah, polyvagal herbalism, is the combination of my training and experience as an herbalist with my understanding of the autonomic nervous system and the, and that sexy hot vagus nerve in particular. <laughs> and it's a new direction of study and practice that I initiated with my article that I published um, in 2021 called Polyvagal Herbalism. Um, that's in the Journal of the American Herbalist Guild and also available to read on my website if you're curious. Um, So yeah, I've been experimenting with bringing attention to the vagus nerve in addition to the other ways I'd already been practicing with herbs for the sympathetic 
and parasympathetic nervous system stress responses. So those stress responses are fight, flight, freeze, also known as like dissociate or shut down, um, as well as fawn, uh, please and appease. Um, so yeah, it's a lot about looking into stress responses and developing neuroplasticity around how we experience stress, danger, and safety. Um, and in my work supporting trauma survivors herbally, I've observed that we need to have a more nuanced understanding of how stress and safety are experienced in the context of a trauma history and the ways that herbs can influence those experiences. So with polyvagal herbalism, I, I formulate um, custom herbal uh, preparations to mediate the effects of client trauma histories using nourishing tonics, herbs to promote specific state shifts in between nervous system states, um, and herbs to tend to the physical and emotional heart. Um, so I'm in active study around somatic exercises that can accompany the usage of herbal formulas that are formulated in this philosophy. Uh, so I've been experimenting with strategies that polyvagal theory suggests will help us improve our vagal tone um, or like the communication fluency of our vagus nerve between all the different systems that it speaks with. Um, and also just to promote greater autonomy with moving through our different nervous system states and trying to access safety and connection inside our bodies. Um, so I also just really want to be transparent that it's a new and experimental approach to the integration of plant medicines with these techniques, these techniques for tuning into exteroception and proprioception and interoception. Um, and so my goal with polyvagal herbalism is to fill up our toolkit for building autonomic awareness and agency especially for a traumatized nervous system, which is most nervous systems, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, and I also really hope that, yeah, it can bring relief to these health concerns that you were referencing, like that are deeply connected with an autonomic nervous system. So like systemic inflammation and digestive imbalances and heart conditions and anxiety and panic and depression. There's just, it's so, it's just so woven into a lot of these experiences. So who would benefit from all of this? I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how to best share this work with community members and clinicians respectively, because there's kind of like different ways of um, teaching and learning about it all together, depending on kind of how we're using it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's hopefully useful for other herbalists who want to learn to work with herbs and people through the lens of the nervous system. Um, and then more on the community member basis, I think like complex trauma survivors, people with PTSD, people with high stress levels over long periods of time, people with chronic illnesses and complex health concerns, um, and especially multiply marginalized people surviving our world's ongoingly violent and oppressive conditions while also trying to heal intergenerational epigenetic historical trauma. Um, and historical trauma, that phrase comes from Maria Yellowhorse, a licensed clinical social worker. Um, so yeah, that's who I think it's for at this moment. <laughs> so what you're saying is you created polyvagal herbalism specifically for me. <laughs> <laughs> for you person. and for everyone. <laughs> it's for all of us. <laughs>
just resonated with me as you were going through the description. Um, that's so amazing. Um, this is such relevant and crucial and important work. Um, and it's just, it's so refreshing to hear and, and witness your perspective and your approach and how, how thoughtful and community, how community oriented it is. Um, the loving, <laughs> the loving kindness of your approach um, with this really delicate and difficult work, not approaching it as in this top-down hierarchical, here is the system that I've created that will um, cure you. Um, just that you are developing these really impressive and cool tools. Um, to to help people along on their journey thank you yeah I feel like it's you know a lot of it is just inherited wisdom that um you know that I'm working with in an, an effort to heal myself and my communities and for us to all be able to get free of our trauma together mm -hmm. liberatory yeah I guess is the that's, word yeah, that that's the goal yeah <laughs> liberatory <laughs> healing mm -hmm. no big deal <laughs> it'll be easy and you should be fine in like a couple months <laughs> yeah just take this tincture and all better well and for people who don't know anything about herbalism for people who I don't know we're this culture of quick fixes and this culture of hopefully easy answers and people are in so much pain and people are desperate for um healing people are desperate for connection and and relief and support. Um, and it's really important right now to have people who are people and practitioners, um, yeah, who are offering work in, in this kind of approach. I just really, I admire, I admire you and I admire how you're doing this. Um, and I'm just so excited to see, to see what happens next. Thank you. I admire you too. Thank you. Not to do a totally hard right shift, um, but <laughs> um, I have been just really in my own nervous system state about what's happening in Tennessee and Florida um, for queer and trans people right now. And you're currently based in Tennessee. And I, yeah, I wanted to hear your perspective about what's going on with this legislation. Um, for context to talking about these quote unquote drag bands that are really just trying to ban <laughs> gender variants and queer and trans people. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that and where people can get involved in standing up against all of this fucked up legislation and yeah. whether there are any healing related mutual aid efforts happening. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for asking. And I, um, yeah, I really empathize with you having your own experience. I think all, um, 
yeah, I think most queer people are really stressed right now, <laughs> like regardless of where you live, if you're in like a blue state or not or whatever. Um, the implications are are really far reaching for all of us. Yeah, we're just living in a really hard time in general, not just in Tennessee, um, because there's over 400 anti-trans bills throughout the U.S. right now in 2023. Um, there's only nine states that haven't introduced anti-queer legislation this year. Wow. Um, pretty wild. And like the leg- if the legislation moves through in these other places, like it just has set the groundwork for those other nine states, theoretically. Um, so yeah, one thing is to make sure to fight against anti-trans, anti-queer bills in the state where you live. Um, and also, of course, it's true that Tennessee is one of the biggest battleground states right now. Um, Tennessee just passed HB1 and HB9. HB1 is banning gender affirming care for trans youth. And then HB9 is restricting the performance of drag, which as you alluded to, like has implications beyond drag performance explicitly um so some some concrete ways to respond to this um contacting state representatives um if you live in another state and advocating for safe state laws um because the way that gender affirming care is being criminalized in multiple places uh people need sanctuaries to seek their care elsewhere so minnesota is an example of a state that recently became a gender affirming care sanctuary Um, So pushing lawmakers to adopt similar policies in other states is useful, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as like, you don't have to live in Tennessee to organize to support people in Tennessee. Like if you live nearby, you can contact your local community and brainstorm ways to help Tennesseans. Like, can you create an overnight housing network for Tennessee families in need of -of out-of-state care? Or can you create like a rideshare relief fund for people who need to travel out of state to access services? Um, So that, those are some ways out of state. Um, And then in terms of donating to mutual aid funds, um, it's really important to seek out trans-centered mutual aid efforts and organizations to provide tangible resources to trans people. Um, what makes mutual aid different than charity, for example, is like it it defies gatekeeping around who can offer meaningful help. And it's really, really important right now. Um, so there's a lot of um, organizing in Tennessee, especially among the rural queers. There's like the historic rural queer neighborhood centering Short Mountain Sanctuary. And a lot of the people involved in that community do a lot of organizing. I just think it's so important because rural organizers queer rural organizers do not get enough flowers. Um, It's like especially challenging to do political organizing in rural spaces. So um, there's a group called the Mutual Aid Babes um, based um, queer and trans queer and trans rural organizers in Middle Tennessee. Um, So they formed the Mutual Aid Babes Fund in 2020 with the pandemic starting. um, And it focused on not just like COVID supplies, but also um, helping transport people to fighting for racial justice during the summer uprisings. Um, And currently the fund is uh, uh, going towards a bail fund since there are new laws policing transness and it means more trans people will be incarcerated as well as like supporting queer and trans rural organizing to like driving to cities to testify against these bills and getting supplies. 
it's going to go directly to trans people who are losing healthcare access. It's also going to help with abortion access, which has also suffered major hits in Tennessee. Um, so yeah, the, the contact info for them is mutualaidbabes at gmail.com. And we can probably put these in the links too. Um, Mm -hmm. and they also have a PayPal that's the same address. Um, so that's a really great direct way to support, um, financially. Um, and then I also, um, I work with, uh, the Nashville chapter of Southerners on New Ground, which is a queer and trans abolitionist organization um, with chapters throughout the South. It's really powerful. And we have a fund that's called the Care Not Cages Fund. Um, and, you know, it's it's a big time for like incarcerated trans people losing access to gender affirming care. And so that fund, um, it does a lot of different things. Uh, it also supports people um, when they're getting out of being institutionalized, but also supports commissary funds and various things, well, to trans and queer people who are inside. So, um, yeah, I really recommend the Care Not Cages Fund as well. Um, We're actually paused on taking donations right now, but I can provide info for when we start that up again. Um, And then the last thing is for people out of state or locally, um, there's an Instagram account that uh, has been doing good work around just helping people know how to plug in and it's called protect trans health TN uh, is the Instagram handle. Um, So they, they're um, providing a lot of uh, up-to-date things. And I also heard that if someone has really social media savvy skills and wants to support them, they're looking for more people to help with like graphics and things like that. Um, And I imagine someone could do that out of state as well. If you want to support a really good active account to keep people in the loop. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for asking about that. And, um, yeah, we're going to take care of us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. That's a great list. That's a great way to get people involved and engaged. Um, I know it's difficult to engage with anything right now, but, um, (laughs) the pace at which these, um, bills and laws are coming in and I didn't realize the number was up to 400 right now um it's just really scary and I don't know especially as a Jewish person as a queer person as a black person like yeah it's really triggering and scary um and as like a young queer person growing up in Ohio this is the kind of thing I was always kind of bracing for um, you know, it was bad when I was a kid and, um, it's brutal to see things moving backwards in such a rapid way. I don't even know if backwards is the right way to put it, but, um, yeah, it's escalating quickly. So now is the time to, to, yeah, get involved in whatever state you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense that it is really, really triggering and, so it's also just important to like take care of ourselves around this and like try to get our like cis het comrades in the fight too so that we don't have to be like the only people fighting this stuff and i do i have to believe that like things are escalating because our power is so threatening and because obviously we're not going anywhere
wanted to enter our little special interest rodeo segment and ask what is um what's lit up for you right now in life is there anything you're feeling particularly fiery or engaged with right now thank you yeah that's such a fun question and I really want to know your answer too um but I don't know if we have time because I'm saying so many words but um but yeah I love special interests um <laughs> so important um so I feel a little shy about this but my day job right now is actually one of my special interests um so I work for a grassroots organization called the health justice commons um and the Health Justice Commons is a movement building project with a commitment to disability justice and an abolitionist stance to the medical industrial complex. And I've just been feeling so inspired by the online multilingual spaces that we create for people to learn and to share resources and analysis and build this movement together. Um, and it's been really supportive for me as someone very isolated uh, caused my isolation caused by the lack of collective concern or protocol for the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And, and then in the HJC spaces, I've learned a lot about groups of disabled queers in multiple different regions doing mutual aid organizing around masks and testing distribution. And, um, it just helps me feel so much less alone and gaslit by the general sentiment around COVID and this work gives me the hope and the energy that I need to keep fighting and, and keep reaching out for connection and not just like completely isolate forever. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel so lucky. I think this is one of the first times I've ever been like, my day job is my special interest. Like I feel incredibly hashtag blessed to have this experience. Um, and some other special interests. Um, I've been doing Irish language learning through this online school called Skolskarte. Uh, which means hedge school. Um, so in the 1700s, Irish education was outlawed and the process of learning took to the land. So hedge schools gathered wherever people could find shelter, uh, like in hedgerows and fields and rivers and under the stars. Um, so that's, that's where that phrase comes from. Um, but it's an online school that provides an Irish language learning experience that's also woven with like culture and art and heritage and folklore. Um, and that's been really beautiful to get to study. That is so and cool. It's really cool. I love it. Um, although I'm definitely not anywhere near fluent in Irish yet and probably never will be. But it's, you know, I just have a few words and they're like precious gems for me mm -hmm. that I love. Um, and then the last special interest that I was thinking of today was um, I've been doing these biofeedback experiments with my pulse oximeter and this device that I have to measure my heart rate variability. So I've been doing different exercises with the vagus nerve and herbs and documenting the results in my vitals. Wow. <laughs> it's fun. Wow. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for oh, loving. Do you feel a, a, available to share any of your special interest rodeos? I'm too busy thinking about yours. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I took us in a few different directions just now. <laughs> yeah, that's so much. So many different ways to connect with so many different parts of yourself. Um, it's like nothing more ADHD Virgo than <laughs> conducting your own biofeedback experiment. 
thank you for seeing me. That's oh, I, I see it. I honor it. I witness it. That's like very <laughs> much something I would. <laughs> um, I actually have, I don't know if you've ever seen these, but it's like an acupuncture pen. They're like electric. Uh, it's like electric impulses in a pen and you use like a water-based kind of gel medium on little spots and you can you basically like can treat yourself with um you know acupuncture um without needles um something I bought on the internet a while ago um I love that (laughs) that's like kind of my own self-body experiment of um I studied Tui Na, which is um, a form of traditional Chinese medical massage um, that is very like rhythmic. Um, And I have been, this, I don't know, this um, Rise Up is my current special interest is just like mapping out my content for the year and figuring out um, how I'm approaching things. It's not very, I don't know how interesting it is to talk about on here, but <laughs> um, I've been going through my Tui Na book, which is all through the lens of Chinese, of traditional Chinese, like five element theory um, and revisiting the meridian systems of the body and um, practicing different techniques on myself, like both using like the acupuncture pen and, and also just using like self-massage. So, and I have silicone cups as well. I do a lot of Mm -hmm. self-cupping for chronic pain relief. So that's so cool. I've been, that's on my list near the top of things I want to do. Um, silicone cupping. So I want to, I'm going to bookmark a one-on-one with you about that soon hopefully (laughs) I'd love to we should trade one-on-ones that would be fun um yeah cupping self-cupping is definitely a class that I'll be or a workshop you know that I'll be offering through the patreon later this year um and probably more than once like working with different meridians of the body that connect with different seasons wow that's so exciting I can't wait thank you what media am I loving right now? Um, I don't know if you, how much time have you spent in Portland? I forget. If I lived you... there for four years um, back in 2009, starting in 2009. Oh, wow. That's when I moved here. Moved here in May 2009. Um, I don't know if you, did you ever go to Movie Madness? No. What's that? Um, it's one of my favorite places. It's kind of one of my happy places. It's a, uh, there's over 80,000, it's a video rental store. So there's over 80,000 titles there. And it's also a movie memorabilia museum. (gasps) So they have like art, all these artifacts and props and they have Phil Lamar's like silicone molded head from Pulp Fiction. (laughs) They have the um the ear from Twin Peaks, like oh um God. they have the wizard's pants from the Wizard of Oz. They have all this <laughs> random stuff in this um movie museum. I never get tired of going there. And lately my partner and I, like, since we aren't really doing like going to the movies in person, we've been renting movies again. Um, and that's just been such a such a fun practice for me, like RIP Blockbuster and 
no, <laughs> like the movie rental culture of our youth. Um, I think I get so burnt out on the way that, well, is there, we are just about at the end of this wonderful conversation. Is there any project or what event that you'd like to plug? What is on the horizon for you and Well Deep Remedies? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking. Um, so um, in the very beginning of this year, I uh, co-facilitated a series of classes um, with a somatics practitioner named Hannah Harris-Sutro of Body Witchery is her um, practice name. And um, we're going to do it again, uh, backed by popular demand. So what our series is, um, it's rooted in a seventh century fragment of Irish wisdom text that uh, outlines the energetics of the three wells, which is a, is a body system. Um, and it's also connected to the teachings I've received from Rylan Sian that I was talking about before in terms of Celtic energetics. Um, so we've created a multi-week learning and practice space. Um, so we work in the well of air, which is in the head, and we study and practice with verving and the brainstem. And then we move into the well of fire, which is in the gut, and we study and practice with rosemary and the GI. And then we work to the center well of water, um, and we study and practice with hawthorn in the heart. Um, so it was really, really exciting to do our first round of this series that we've been kind of co-developing quietly for quite a while um, and it was really sweet and we learned um, you know what worked really well and what we want to adjust and so I'm excited that we're going to do it again um, in this late spring early summer we haven't set our dates quite yet but we will very soon so um, I'll send out a newsletter and also I'll share on my Instagram uh, for when registration will open for that and because of various factors, it's going to be the last time we do it again for like quite a while. So um, if that's interesting to people, I would definitely recommend joining us this year. Um, and then the other Horizon offer that I have, um, I've been preparing a polyvagal herbalism intensive, um, and I've been developing it for several years now. Um, uh, this curriculum about working with plant medicines from a nervous system lens, especially for understanding the ways that complex traumatic stress shapes our nervous systems and how we can access more agency in our experience with embodiment. Um, so I really, as has probably become clear, believe in the power of a people's science of the nervous system. I believe in the power of plant medicines. And it's taken me a while to develop this intensive because the content is pretty intricate and I want the actual experience to be really accessible and really embodied. Um, so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an experiment. The first time I offer it, my current plan is to offer a closed cohort for a six month online program. And I'm going to be refining all the logistics this spring and probably opening enrollment in mid-summer of this year. Um, and again, my newsletter and my Instagram are the best way to stay in the loop if you want to join the first cohort of the Polyvagal Herbalism Intensive. And then the that like the far horizon of next year, um, 
just to plant a seed, I'm going to be co-facilitating a series on Ashkenazi herbalism that I'm really excited to share as well. So um, yeah, that is what's coming up. Amazing. Wow. That's so much. And sign me up for that polyvagal herbalism intensive. That sounds really lovely. And um, yeah, everybody get on that. We'll, um, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. Um, so would you also like to tell people where we can find you and connect with your work? Definitely. Yeah. Um, thank you. I have a website. It is welldeepremedies.com. And on the resources page of my website, there's a link to my paper on polyvagal herbalism if you want to read that. Um, you can book a mini consult with me, which is a 30-minute consult, which is a nice like snack of an experience to work with an herbalist. And it's something that I've um I've started offering just to, yeah, just so that someone can work with like one specific thing and get a custom formula and it's like quick and pretty inexpensive um and just to get a taste of what it's like um but then I also work with clients ongoingly so if you wanted to work um more deeply on your you know more complex concerns um the way that I do that is I start with a free 15 minute call um just to answer any questions and to schedule our 2 hour intake um, so there'll be a link um, to schedule a 15 minute call. Um, and if you just want to go ahead and schedule, you can also email me. Um, and so my email address will be in the show notes as well. Um, and yeah, my mailing list is um, a great way to stay in touch, as is my Instagram. Those are pretty much my most active places for sharing updates. Um, and then I also have a very small medicine line that is only so sold on one place on the internet, which is through my friend Jonah. Um, their website uh, for Narrow Bridge Candles has a page with my Well Deep Remedies on it. Um, and that will also be linked. And then just to know, I do like pop-up medicine sales um, every now and then with small batch offers. Um, and I do those through my Instagram stories usually. So yeah. Ooh, oh. All right. And then there will also be a little treat for any of you who happen to be patrons or want to become a patron of this show. Um, we're going to be offering a 25% intake, 25% off of an intake consultation with Brunum. Um, and that will be posted in the Patreon when this episode comes out. And I think that about does it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brunum. This has been so, so wonderful. And um, I'm just I'm going to be sitting with the lovely feels of this conversation for a while. Thanks for showing up and thanks for being here. Me too. Thank you so much for having me, Tavi. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to directly support the creation and production of more important conversations about art, tarot, activism, herbal medicine, wellness culture, astrology, and more, please do consider joining our Patreon where you can sign up for a monthly contribution as low as $2. Thanks again for tuning in. Take care. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.